Thank you that you're 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 putting the word of God to us and this union's message. Okay, it's good to be with you all this morning and uh, at the start of a new year and to have this opportunity to bless you with God's word. Um, Linda, I've got exactly the same verse that you started with this morning when you started the service. So uh, I'll turn your attention if you have your Bibles and you want to follow that again. It's in Romans 15 and verse 13. It's a message uh, it's a message about hope, and uh, Linda's already mentioned that, but I want to just expand on that verse. There are some verses in the Bible that, as you read them, it's as though they're all written by the Holy Spirit, but some just impact you more. It's as though the Holy Spirit has pressed a lot into just a few words, and uh, I think this is one of those verses, so let me just read it to you again. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace, as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's four precious truths that we can immediately see in this verse. I'll just go through them very quickly and then expand on them. God is, God is the God of hope. We, we know that God is love, but in this verse he says he is the God of hope as well. Now, God doesn't need hope in that sense because he doesn't have to hope for anything because he has everything. He possesses everything. So it's not as though that God needs to hope for things, but he is the source of hope. He is the supply of our hope. We get our hope in the same way that he pours his love into our hearts and he grants us his faith. So he gives us his hope. When we're properly related to God, uh, this God of hope, it says he fills us with all joy and peace. So as we come into relation with God the Father through his son Jesus Christ, peace and joy fills our heart and God's plan is that throughout our journey with him we should experience and know that peace and joy. The third little truth that's in here is that hope hope is it works in tandem with something called trust as we hope in god so we have trust in him and trust is simply another word for faith it is through trusting in the god of hope we're filled with it says all joy and peace well, it sort of follows, doesn't it? If you're trusting in an almighty and all-powerful God, you're fully trusting in him, then you would only have joy and peace in your heart. And the final little truth there that's obvious is that it's through being filled with the Holy Spirit, okay, um, that, that uh, we overflow in the hope that we have. So it isn't simply we're optimistically hopeful about the future, but it says we overflow in it. So the, the coming of the Holy Spirit into our lives is that he might fill us with this hope, an overflow 
of this hope. Just read the verse again. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You understand what I mean now? He's pushed a lot into just those few words. I want to give you a definition of hope for this particular message this morning. I put it like this. It's a confident assurance that God will resolve an impossible situation. It is a confident assurance that God will resolve an impossible situation. Now, I've discovered, I suppose, like you, going through life, that impossible situations can come at you from different sources, from uh, different places, from different things that happen to you. Before we look at where they come from, these impossible situations, I want to, I want to reassure you with something. In every difficult and impossible situation that you will ever face, God has permitted it to happen to you. Now, I never said that God wanted you to have this difficult situation or to go through this thing, but God permitted it. We know that God is sovereign over all things. So being sovereign, he has the final word about everything. We know always that God is present. You can't go anywhere to escape the presence of God. Wherever you are, he is there. Another thing about God is that he's all-knowing. He knows everything because he can see into the future. He knows how things are going to work out. And the third thing about God, all-present, all-knowing, he's also all-powerful. So God can do what God wants to do in a situation. That's why we pray to a God. We pray to a God who is all-powerful. Now, we might not understand what God is doing or why certain things are happening to us, but I want to reassure you this morning that you can always trust in your Heavenly Father because he's always looking out for your interests. He's always interested in you. He is in a covenant relationship with you. And so he's watching all the time. And often we just need to turn our attention in these difficult situations to see the hand of God at work in our lives. Now, let's just look for a minute where, uh, what is the source of these impossible situations? Where might they come from, these difficult things that you have to face? We faced some difficult things last year. I don't know how you coped with it all. Maybe, you know, people have lost their jobs or uh, people feel very uh, down about the whole situation. We know that people uh, are being very fragile in the whole thing, being locked away from other people, not being able to see their family. Very difficult situations. So the source of these situations. Well, the first is that we might create for ourselves difficult situations. It's not always the enemy that's at work in our life. Sometimes we make mistakes and make wrong choices and we find ourselves in a difficult situation. 
As an example, let's take the wedding at Cana. We know that Jesus went with his disciples and his mother to the wedding and something, well, uh, a catastrophe happened really, I suppose. They, they ran out of wine. Now, whose fault was it? Well, was it God's fault? I don't think so. Was it the devil's fault? Well, no, probably it was the person who was responsible for getting the wine. Now, whether he had insufficient funds or um, there wasn't enough wine that year or he just didn't get his numbers right, we don't know. But he found himself in a difficult situation. So some difficult situations in your life is because of, because of the choices you've made. Satan, he too can put us into difficult situations. Um, it can be very difficult at times. There are three clear examples. One of Peter, remember when Satan came to the Lord and said he wanted to sift Peter. And so Peter's sifting that difficult time he went through at the crucifixion of Christ. That was the work of Satan, those difficult things he went through. Paul is another example. Remember it said that he was buffeted by a spirit that had come to him from the enemy and he wanted God to do something about this attack on his life. And of course, the third example is, is Job himself, where as you read the story of Job, he came under a very clear attack from Satan. In each of the cases, it seems that Satan had to either ask permission to inflict or to continue the suffering in the cases of these people. So the point is that God is sovereign, you see, and sometimes if something like this comes from the enemy, God is knowing all about it. And he's, he's watching us as we often go through these difficult things. Thirdly, a difficult situation or an impossible situation can come from God himself. Now, when God sends these to us, it isn't to hurt us or embarrass us or humiliate us. It is simply to cause us to grow, to grow in faith, to grow in our love, to grow in our trust and dependence on God. Remember the case where Philip was asked by the Lord to feed 5,000 people. Well, that's a pretty difficult situation in the middle of a countryside. In that situation where Peter was um, asked to pay his taxes for him and the Lord and he didn't have any money, that was a difficult situation. Uh, also, the apostles, the 12 apostles, when they were sent out, they were told to heal the sick and cast out demons, to raise the dead, to cleanse lepers, difficult situations that God has, was putting them into. So when we go into something that's tricky, impossible, difficult, stop and ask the question, is this me? Is this God that is allowing this to happen in my life? Or is Satan at work here? Just stop and slowly approach it rather than assume things or rush in a certain direction. Now, this part of my sermon is, is the how-to part. Now, often God provides us in a difficult situation with the knowledge from the word of God and from uh, Christian maturity to know what to do. And he can also provide us with the means. So as we enter into it, we don't have to pray 
or call on the Lord because we have the wisdom that has come from God and we have the resources to fix it. Well, simply fix it and praise God that you have the resources and you understand what's going on. If that's not the case, though, and it's a bit tricky and you don't know, the first thing you do is stop. Don't rush ahead. Stop. Refuse to worry, because that's a natural reaction. Refuse to worry and take, take it to your father. Take the situation to him, and of course we take it in prayer. Prayer is simply telling God and talking to God about the situation that we have. Now, you could say, well, God already knows the problem. Of course he does, because I've said that God knows everything. He knows everything in the future. He knows, he knows the decisions we're going to make and how things work out. But in taking it to God, what we're doing is involving God in the whole situation. We're inviting the Father to come and get involved in our lives. To shed a, a bit of light on this process, let's go back to the wedding at Cana, just to see how Mary dealt with this situation, because she was the one that saw the problem and she shows us how to deal with it. The bridegroom is in, in an impossible situation. There is the master of the feast, somebody who's organizing everything, but it's the bridegroom who's going to be embarrassed at the whole thing. They've run out of wine. Jesus's mother hears about this. Whether she hears about it before Jesus did or the apostles or, or anyone else, we don't know. Did someone go and tell her? We don't know. But her response was this. She says, go tell Jesus about your problem. You see, stop, don't worry, and go to the Father. She said, go tell Jesus about your problem. Now, she doesn't suggest what Jesus should do. She goes to Jesus and tells him about the problem, but she doesn't suggest what Jesus should do. I've discovered that often when we pray, we pray the answer to God. We tell him what we want now. That we can petition the Lord, but be careful that you're, the, you don't try and give him the answer of what you want him to do. Present the problem to him. There was a problem that needed to be presented, and she presented it to Jesus. She then says to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. You see, our answers to our problems might not be his answers. So she simply said, do whatever he tells you to do. Her hope is totally in Jesus dealing with the situation. You see, our hope is, is in him, our Father, our Heavenly Father, dealing with the situation. Let's just go back uh, one step in this story. When she talks to Jesus and she tells him of the problem, this is how Jesus responds to his mother. He says, dear woman. Now, to Arias, that doesn't sound too pleasant, dear woman, but it, I'm assured it was an affectionate term and how things were said in those days. He says this, dear woman, why do you involve me? 
Ah, I thought about that a little bit. Jesus was in a relationship with his mother and he was also in a relationship with the wedding party. He was a guest, he was invited. I Somehow he was a friend, he was a part of it. So the minute that Mary tells him, his mother tells him about the situation, he's involved. You see, he says, why do you involve me? When we pray and talk to God, we involve him. He wants to be involved. It is as though Jesus wasn't involved until Mary said something to him. Let me give you a bit of an example here. If one of my sons is in difficulty and I do not know anything about it, I can't do anything about it. Now, you could say, oh, it's different because God knows everything. Well, yeah, that is slightly different, but for the sake of the illustration, I can't do anything because I don't know. The minute that I know about it, I'm involved. Why? Because of the relationship I have with my sons. If one of them has a problem and I hear about the problem or he shares his problem with me, I'm involved. Why? Because the relationship I have involves me. As soon as you take your situation to God, he's involved. He's involved because he is your father. He's in a covenant relationship with you. He promises to look after you. He promises to never leave you or forsake you. He promises to be your savior. So in taking it to him, he's involved. The first thing we do with a difficult situation, we stop, we don't worry, and we take it to him. We get him involved. I want to now turn your attention to what I think is probably the greatest illustration uh, of hope, really, uh, in the ministry of Jesus, in all of the stories that he told and the incidents he was involved in. It's found in Luke chapter 8, and it's from 40 to 56, the story. It's a very familiar story. We won't read it, um, but I'll just go quickly through it, and we'll see how uh, hope uh, is such a fantastic part of this story. It's a story about a man called Jairus. He is a synagogue ruler. He knows about Jesus. He's heard of the miracles of Jesus. And so, <coughs> excuse me, he comes to him and it says he falls at his feet and he pleads with him. He sees him as a teacher, uh, one who has uh, moved in the miraculous with God. He pleads with him to come to his house that he might put his hands on his daughter because she's ill now. She's more than just a little bit sick. She's close to death. And so he's desperate. Uh, I don't know how long she's been ill or what it is that's wrong with her, but she's close to death. So Jesus immediately responds to this man's faith in him coming and asking the Lord to help. This is, we see that Jesus is, is keen to help. So he sets off with the man. And then as you read through the story, you see there's an interruption with another woman who comes and she touches him and she gets healed. And it, it delays the whole process of Jesus coming with the man. While he's talking to this woman and dealing with her in her situation, it says that one of the servants of 
Jairus's house. He comes to Jairus, walks quietly to him, and he says this very quietly, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Now, we have to freeze that frame in the story. It's a powerful, poignant moment. This man who had come, fallen on his knees, begged Jesus to come and help. Jesus immediately responds, and they start to move in that direction. And so you can see there's hope in this man. He's, he's anticipating that this, this rabbi, this miracle worker, will be able to do something for his daughter. He's full of hope and expectation. But then when he hears this terrible, awful news... It's as though all the blood drains from his face. He goes white and ashen, and he even starts to tremble. It's as though whatever hope was there, it's gone completely from him. It's left him. That, that tangible hope that he had, that belief, that faith, that trusting, it's gone. It's gone. It's gone completely from him. The poor man. But Jesus, he heard what the servant said. And he looks around and he sees this man's reaction. He sees hope leaving him, just physically in a few seconds, just leave him completely. He's in a hopeless situation. Then Jesus, he says just nine short words, but three very clear directives that are coming from the very lips of God. He says this to him, don't be afraid, just believe, and she will live. <laughs> Can you imagine? What a succinct answer. Imagine going to God with a desperate need. And God, you hear it almost audibly coming from the lips of God. He says, don't be afraid. Just believe. And I will answer your prayer. <laughs> you know, when you're in an impossible situation, we must hear God speak. Hope comes when God, the God of hope, speaks into our lives. Now, he can speak directly to us. He can speak directly to, into our hearts. We can hear something through a sermon. We could be reading something. It could come indirectly from reading the scriptures or in, in another way. So sometimes God speaks directly and sometimes God speaks indirectly through his words. But you see, God has to speak. The minute that God, through Jesus Christ, or Christ spoke to that man, hope, hope came back into his life. It's as though his cheeks became red again. They flushed a little bit. It was as though something had entered into him that he had lost completely. It rushed back light the light 
of God's word dispelled the darkness that had filled his heart and his mind and his soul and his whole being. The light that entered in through the words of Jesus simply dispelled it and hope rushed into the man's body again. The words of the eternal, the words of the unchanging one, the words that have come from the immortal one, the all-powerful one, the all-knowing one, the all-loving, the king of the universe, your savior, your friend, Jesus himself spoke into the situation. It changed everything, you see. It changed everything. Hope is vital in our lives. As we go through the difficult situations that 2021 hold for us, and there will be some, I assure you, there will be hard things to walk through from time to time because that's what life's like. As God speaks, it changes everything. It resolves every impossible situation. The moment, you could say the moment that Jesus spoke, it was all going to be all right. But there was a responsibility placed upon Jairus himself. Because Jesus said, don't be afraid. Just believe. See, it's what we do as well. We mustn't be afraid. We mustn't be afraid. We mustn't be afraid. We must just believe. Just believe. Just believe, just believe. And as we do those things, then God moves in that realm of faith to do the impossible. We know the end of the story too well. Jesus goes to the house of Jairus and she has died like the servant said. And she's lying on the bed and all the wailers are there crying. They were all there in advance to cry as she passed away and died. Jesus pushes them to one side, asks them to leave the room. Then he takes her by the hand and he speaks to her and he tells her to get up. We serve a God of hope, a God of hope. Edward Mote, he penned a, a good number of hymns, but this is a tremendous hymn uh, that he wrote. I'll just read just one of the verses from it. When darkness seems to veil his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. Hope, hope, hope is the anchor of our soul. We're anchored into God, who is the God of hope. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you go through those difficult situations this year. May the Holy Spirit, the power of the Spirit, cause you to overflow with joy as you go through them with the God of hope in 2021. Let me 
pray for you now for this coming year as I bring this message to a close. But dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you because you are so connected to us. You love us so much. You're for us 100%. Lord, we know we go through difficult times and situations and different things in life come. And Lord, they come from all different sources as, as we've looked at this morning. But Lord, we're going to look to you. We're going to stop. We're not going to worry or panic. And we're going to bring our request to you. We're going to look to you for your answer. We're not going to tell you what you should do. We're just going to look to you for the answer. And we're going to trust you. And in our trusting, we know that we will overflow with joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. Lord, bless each one of us this year, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen, God. Amen. Okay. Over to you, Linda.